0: Welcome, my name is Christian, very thankful that you're here this morning. We are going to dig deeply into how we can maintain the unity that God has established among us. Uh, Last week, our subject was the gift that God has given us in uniting us. Uh, If you were not here, if you did not hear that message, I still believe that you'll hear something helpful. And I want you to know that I can say this because when the church gets unity wrong, it's dreadful. And you don't have to have been here last week to know that. The walls that are built in churches hurt everyone. Have any of you had an experience of, of division in a church and it's been hard? Some of you have. On Wednesday evening, in my home, we had our Connect group and we were talking together about our own experiences of division. Uh, there was a young woman who recounted the experience of living through her parents' divorce as a child. Uh, They were a model family at the church they attended until mom and dad split up. Uh, She was eight. After that, no one called her anymore. Uh, She wasn't included in the events that parents were initiating with their own children. It was as if all at once she had not only lost her own family but also her church family. Uh, Without meaning to, perhaps, the church had built a wall and on one side of the wall, That's where all of the families which were intact were allowed to be. And those that had fallen apart from divorce were on the other side. Even if you were a kid, you are now an outsider. Some of you have experienced that yourselves, haven't you? Either with your own divorce or the divorce of your parents. When that happens, it hurts, doesn't it? You lose. When the church gets it right, when the church remembers, and this was our subject last week, that God is the one who came and broke every wall that divides us when the church embraces and accepts the truth that when God came in Jesus and allowed himself to be broken, he did that to break down every wall, then we experience a kind of togetherness that heals our deepest wounds. Do you have a deep wound? Our togetherness is meant to be the instrument God uses to heal that. Uh, Then the things which we've lost are restored. Not that we get everything back, but if we're Grieving the loss of a loved one, the community united gives love that's magnificent. Uh, Then we experience a kind of togetherness that builds us up in love so we're stronger than we'd ever been. Then we get a new purpose with each other. Only when the community is free to let the walls lie, the ones that God has knocked down, then we know our unity And what I want to do with you this morning is to tell you that our responsibility is to maintain the good gift of unity which God has given. It's not just our responsibility, it's our joy to do that. And we'll receive instruction this morning by dwelling again on Paul's instruction, learning how to maintain the gift that God has given us. Let's look at uh, Paul's instruction again in verse 3 of chapter 4 of Ephesians. This is our subject last week and today too. There, Paul indicates that if we're going to make progress in unity, we are going to be uh, making, this is verse 3, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Last week, we especially narrowed in on this phrase here, maintain the unity of the Spirit. Uh, As we... I spent time there. We saw first that the unity that's ours is to be maintained because it's already been given. It's not up to us to attain it or acquire it. It's a gift of the Spirit. That means that God the Holy Spirit has actually given something to the community that they're responsible for guarding and protecting and what God has given is unity. Not uniformity, not everybody exactly the same, but rather the kind of togetherness that is the result of something God has done. Uh, Very different than everybody behaving exactly the same or believing exactly the same. Maybe that does happen, but rather the unity. And this was our subject for last week. This got me so excited, I almost fell over last week. (laughs) It's that you, all of you, and everyone you've ever met is united in that apart from God, you are completely lost, helpless, completely hopeless. Everyone, everyone was in that same place. If you right now feel I'm lost and completely hopeless, good news. This is the second thing that unites us all. God has come to rescue you 100%, free of charge, giving his own self so you could be completely and totally delivered. Some of you knew that last week. You were excited about it. You've been lost again. Well, you're rescued again. That's what unites us. God has rescued us. Why? Because he loves us, because we're all equally beloved. You and everyone you've ever known, the ones you like and the ones who get on your nerves, all of us have been united in God's rescue. You can giggle about it. And then we're united in that This rescue puts our feet on solid ground and it's the ground of God's new purpose for us that we should do something good together. That's why you've been saved. That's why you've been rescued. It's not just so that you can feel good about yourself in contrast to others. It's so that you can be invited into this brilliant mission that Jesus has in the world for us as his people. And that unites us. Now, Paul further qualifies it and here's where I want us to begin this morning uh, by describing this unity of the spirit first with this word bond. In the bond, Paul says. uh, In ancient Greek, in Koine Greek, the language in which the New Testament was written, words do a lot of work often because they evoke pictures in the minds of the first hearers or listeners. Bond here in Greek literally means a thing that is in the middle of two others which hold them together. A third thing which brings uh, into unity those Uh, objects or subjects which otherwise would have been disparate and not connected to each other. The bond is the mortar between the bricks. Have you ever built a house out of bricks? On their own, those bricks are useless. But with the mortar that holds them together, you actually have a single structure in which a family can live. The mortar is the bond. Uh, The bond is the sinew between the bones. Picture it even if it's gross to you. Connecting objects which on their own are completely useless into a structure that is dynamic and gives your body the integrity it needs to do good things in the world. The bond is the sinews. Now one ancient writer, Aristotle, considered the bond between mom and dad that arises when they have an infant child there between them. The child which causes them both to set aside all of the other things which they differed about in love and affection, knitting them together as they care for that baby, bound to one one another uh, together in a manner too deep for words. That's the bond. The unity which is ours. Think of all three of these images which unites us to one another like mortar and sinews and the child is accomplished for us by God's gift. And here is the second word. The gift which is here called peace. It's the bond of peace which unites us from God. Now peace is a good word in English, but it does a shabby job of capturing what Paul had in his mind when he told them that it was the uniting bond of peace. For us, peace can simply mean the absence of conflict, and that's a good thing, isn't it? Couldn't we use more absence of conflict? But into the void of conflict, there is filled something rich and beautiful beyond what the word peace makes us think of. It's in Paul's mind, from his own people, the Jews who had a long and beautiful promise from God for shalom. Do you know that word shalom? Shalom is more than not having conflict. Shalom is restoration of everything that was broken and lost. Listen to this. Shalom is healing for every wound that is beyond you to repair and is ruining your life. Shalom is wholeness where there was brokenness. Shalom is reconciliation where there were warring parties. The simplest way to say what Shalom is, Shalom is God's will for all of creation finally coming into being because God himself has willed it and given it. And that's what binds us together. Picture everything right. I mean, let your mind go there and be imaginative. Literally every broken mess healed. Every worry wiped away because the children are okay. They're in God's peaceful hands. All of the mess that you can't manage that keeps you up at night and wakes you up too early, it's never gonna get well on your own. Imagine God's power healing it. That's what shalom is. Picture a a meadow and a great flock of sheep And there they are and they are not afraid and they have everything they need because right there in their midst is the good shepherd who guards them from every threat, who takes them right to the places where they need to be so they have the nourishment that they need to live and be strong. Who, listen, who mediates between them so the sheep are all getting along and loving each other because their beloved shepherd is there and he cares for their every need. This is shalom. The good shepherd is God himself in the presence of Jesus Christ forever with all of us and you are a sheep. Sheep are dumb. <laughs> They're helpless and hopeless on their own. They can't get it right. They, they beat each other up. They wander off cliffs if they don't have a shepherd. But listen, the shepherd has come and so we have shalom. And this is The truth. The bond that unites us in perfect peace in Shalom is the gift that God won for the world when He died in Christ to reconcile the whole world, the whole creation to himself. There are all kinds of pockets of creation that have no idea that this has happened. And so they go on living in chaos and in destruction, but the community of people who are gathering to see Jesus and growing to follow him are meant to be people who against all odds accept the truth that we are one, that we can stop the war, that everything that spoils it is taken away by this good shepherd and everything that we need is given to us. And what Paul tells the folks in Ephesus, and this is what he's telling us, is that if we're going to walk worthy of our calling to make Jesus visible, which is what we should do, then we're going to have to make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Because as anyone who's tried to be in relationship with any other person knows, shalom requires maintenance, doesn't it? And if you've ever been in a church for very long, you know that too, right? Wow, we Christians are good at splitting up, aren't we? At building walls? What I want uh, to share to be practical with us is I want to point a light on the kinds of things that will threaten our peace together, what God has done. Because the world that we live in is uh, full of threats, uh, so I just wanna share four of them in, in hopes of illuminating for us the things to be on the lookout if we're gonna make progress at maintaining uh, this unity. And, and before we even look at the first one, let me make sure I put this in the right light. This is not so that we have the right things to be scared of. We don't need anything more to be scared of. Am I right about that? This is so we see the path that God wants us to walk on so we get the benefits personally of being united with each other. And not just for us, never just for us. Christian faith can never be a self-centered thing because it could never be about Jesus if it's centered on ourselves, right? It's so that we can do good things in the world. So here's the first threat to our unity. It's our environment. This is the broadest possible threat, but it's true. The social matrix that you and I inhabit conditions us every day to separate into groups and define ourselves against others. Uh, In our little enclaves, we can form and then we accept a group identity, refusing to see ourselves or others as the individuals that they actually are. They're not individuals. They're just members of that group, whatever label I put on them. We categorize them so we have a foil, a kind of person who's not our kind, a class of villains. The very fabric of our environment conditions us toward this kind of practice. I talked about the lunchroom in high school last week, but I bet you've experienced your own versions of this in the environment being conditioned to separate, haven't you? That's a threat to our peace. Now, this environmental factor is enhanced by a second threat to our peace, and that is ignorance. And I include myself, and all of us in this, as we separate from others who we have labeled, our fear can be fueled by keeping us distant so the wrong ideas about them can fester, deepening the divide between us. Our ignorance becomes a tool for undermining peace and keeping up the walls so we never experience the unity. i learned to attribute a certain set of attitudes, actions and beliefs to people in that group and those become my rationale for staying away from people like that. Can you admit that you've done this? For me, when I was in graduate school at Princeton, it was anyone who wore khakis and a button-down shirt tucked in. Seriously. And then on the first day of seminary, I saw someone like that and he later became my very best friend. He was the best man when I married Michelle in our wedding. Have you ever done this? Judge someone in a different group, ignorant of them, and then only discovered how good it is to be with them? You know, God wants us to do that more and more. A threat to our peace our together is ignorance. Now, those two, environment and ignorance, you don't have to have any faith to agree with that, right? We could put this piece on the evening news and people would say everywhere in the world, yeah, that, that's about right. Listen, these next two are substantially Christian beliefs, not this guy Christian, but Christians, okay? We believe that there are deep divides that are rooted in theological realities that not everyone accepts. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, welcome, so glad you're with us. These are the things which specifically people who are wanting to follow Jesus would agree about. You might not agree, but these also are threats to our peace. The third one is sin. Um, sadly, this word has been reduced to the label that you put on people who are naughty like you are not. And so you can divide up and push them away. That itself is a sin. In Hebrew, the word sin indicates a departure from the right way. Maybe you've heard it said, missing the mark. It really means to depart from the path that God wants us to walk on for our own good. And most of us will know this: that God gives a good path. When you go off it, it's bad for you and for others. And in the among the many ways that sin is in fact corrosive and bad for you, one consistent result or consequence of going off God's path, and all Christians will agree on this if they dig deep, is that it separates us from each other when we sin. Now think about it for a minute. Uh, when I want to give you an image of me that's not true to who I am, I tell a lie. You do this too, don't you? No, I've never lied, liar. <laughs> when, when I lie, which is a sin, I give that other person a false picture of me and now they're not in a relationship with the true me anymore, they're in relationship to this false me and therefore we are separated from each other. Do you see it? And you can do this with any sin, greed, universally condemned as a sin in, in, in the New and Old Testament. Uh, Right, The, The desire to acquire more for yourself than you need. When I do that, I turn the people around me from living and breathing people into objects for my benefit. They become a commodity or a means to enriching myself and then I engage in all manner of injustice against them because I'm separated from their true humanity by my sin, my greed. Sin always separates it. Lust, same thing. I turn her into an it for my pleasure, or I, he becomes some object to, for me to devour. In any, any sin, any departure from God's path, you will always find the consequence being that we are separated from one another. One more, which is especially particular uh, in threatening our peace and unity, and which perhaps will only be meaningful to some Christians even, and that is Satan. Uh, Whatever you call him, and there are very many names in scripture, Uh, the devil, the deceiver, the accuser, the power of the heir, the ruler uh, of the children who are disobedient, Beelzebub, there are many, many names, uh, but there is a malevolent power at work in the world that is aimed at undoing peace by separating people from one another and dividing them up for one single reason, because the consequence of our unity is that we are useful in the world for good and Satan hates everything which is good. When we're together and strong and do good things for others, that is something that the power of malevolence, the evil that is at work in the world, which even if you don't have faith, you can put your finger on, that evil does not want good things to happen. And one of the most immediate ways Satan can undermine our effectiveness is by turning us against each other. Don't you know that? Uh, try this. Imagine 700 people all pulling in different directions with different agendas and against each other and shoving each other down and using their energy to divide up. And then on the other hand, picture a moment where they all come to their senses and start pulling together in the same direction. Can't you imagine the force for good that that group could be? Uh, These four are threats to our unity. Uh, They threaten the peace which holds us together Uh, They threaten to undermine the mortar or the sinews and break them apart, uh, to divide the family and to ruin the unity that we have. And if we're going to be mature, which we should be, it's going to be up to us to use this information and then strategize together how to maintain the gift that God has given us. And I want you to know this morning that the gift requires maintenance as much as your front lawn does in the month of June. Uh, Do we have any lawn warriors here this morning? Yes. Right now you're thinking about that dandelion that you maybe saw starting to come up before church. You're ready to go tear it out, right? And you hate crabgrass. It's awful, right? You would hate it even if it were called elfgrass, which is a nice, nicer name, but you'd still hate it. And clover, yeah, they're nice for bunnies and all, but for your lawn, an offense to you, right, deep down inside. Unless, of course, you live in my neighborhood where my neighborhood, every lawn looks like, like a golf course. Right? <laughs> And that's because those folks hire, you know, they hire, they hire the, the help, right, to, to make their lawn look perfect. Listen now, listen, our unity and the peace that is in here, it requires just as much maintenance as a lawn, but we can't hire it out to somebody else. There is no uh, unity crew that we're gonna pay some money each month to bring into the church and keep the weeds from growing. We're not. Uh, there's no chemicals that they're gonna spray on us to make it verdant and green, Right? But listen, what we're called to is to work hard together so that the lawn that is growing here is one that we can take our shoes off in and walk around and have a picnic and enjoy every good gift that God gives us. A pasture that feeds us like sheep need to be fed. A place where your wounds are healed because there's not a wall that pushes you out, but instead you're welcomed in and you find a beloved friend or a spiritual mother or father here. Or you're single and it's always broken your heart, but here you find the kind of love that reaches deeper than any romantic ever love could ever reach. You find purpose, but that will only happen if we work at it, all of us. And I mean that literally. I mean it for the staff at Renaissance Church that it should be our priority to keep our eyes out for the kind of maintenance that will keep us united. I mean it for the elders at the church, that they will think creatively about how to maintain the unity that this community has. Not because of what it's done, but because what God has done. Every one of you who volunteers, and thank you, there are so many of you who are at work executing the mission and ministry of this church. You and every attender, it is in your hands to pull the weeds, to make sure there's water, to make sure there's sunlight and nutrients. How will we all of us together, how will we maintain the unity that is the gift that God has given? I want to make this as concrete and practical as I can by offering five very concrete steps to maintaining unity. And they're gonna be here, one at a time. Here are the things which are our responsibility altogether, to treasure and nurture this gift of shalom that God has given and and which he wants to continue to bind us together. Here's the first thing we're gonna do to maintaining unity, it is this. We are going to avoid unnecessary conflict. Uh, Churches which become serious about proper belief and behavior, which I think every church ought to, are always going to be tempted to getting into fights over non-essential things. Uh, From the very beginning, Paul, the apostle, warned against this tendency to the many communities which he Wrote, uh, to which he wrote because he knew that they would often uh, be in, interacting with people who were brand new to the faith, who were not as strong in their faith, who were weak in their faith. And so he instructed them uh, very deftly to avoid quarrels that would only divide. Here, look at this in Romans 14.1. Paul gave this sort of motto for guidance. Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Paul knew that some people ate meat, some people only ate vegetables, and he was sure once they got together, they would start fighting. So he said, don't fight about that. And he knew that some people thought this day was better than that day. This day was more holy than the other. There were festivals to celebrate, but then there were others not to. And he knew right away, this would be a fight. And so his guidance was welcome each other, but not forgetting in all kinds of fights. The truth is Christians get in arguments. Is that news to anybody? No, if it were, then please teach us. There are lots of things that Christians divide up about. Um, When I lived uh, with the Christians in Philadelphia that I lived with, if you were here earlier, do you remember me talking about Chris Ann, who taught me that song about being patient? Oh, that group had plenty of things to divide up about. One of the things we got in fights about was music. Do you know that Christians fight about music? Do you know that? Do you know if Dave came in here next week and started playing an organ piece? Some of you would be really riled up and angry. Right, and now one or two of you are like, organ, I've always been wanting the organ. (laughs) In Chris-Ann's room, there was a fight over music because her roommate, Jolinda, she loved Public Enemy. No one knows Public Enemy, Chuck D, Flava Flav, no one? (laughs) You know him? Chris Ann was convinced that to be a true Christian, you could only listen to music that was explicitly Christian. And so this fight was brought to the dinner table where we talked about it and argued and there were impassioned uh, positions on each side. We started to get against each other altogether. The person who managed our house decided this is the right way to mitigate this conflict. She made them change roommates. And so Jolinda went over here and Chris Ann went over there. And do you think this solved the problem? No, no. It just sent the problem through the walls with competing stereos. I remember one afternoon coming home and lying down to rest and hearing at full pitch, Amy Grant, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El El Yonah Adonai. That came from Chris Ann's room. If you don't know it, you can't get more Christian than that. And then as that was playing, the floor started thumping. Mm, This was Jolinda's theory, which was much louder. And then we were all encouraged by the incredible rhyme animal, Chuck D, to fight the powers. And then Flavor Flav uh, encouraged us not to believe the hype. (laughs) And Jolinda won that fight, but the next morning before sunrise, it was back to Amy Grant, thy word. The point is... We were divided for months and Christians can divide up over all kinds of things that we don't need to divide up over. So I'm asking you to take responsibility for maintaining this unity by choosing to be on the lookout for unnecessary conflicts and avoiding them. Now, what some churches do in hopes of achieving peace is avoiding all conflict whatsoever. To try to achieve peace by never ever Addressing things that we differ about is one strategy that will always end in the same place. It may be peaceful for a little while, but it will end up like the most peaceful place in the world, which is a graveyard. I'm serious, right? If we try to achieve peace by avoiding all conflict, we will, we will die. The, the life will go out of us. And so what we need to do, here's the second step, is to engage in necessary conflict. Uh, we need to be careful not to so elevate peace that we... Hide the things that need to be addressed. Uh, That will require care and attention and maturity. Here is a good rule to follow. This comes from Jesus. He gave this rule to his disciples knowing that they would be in conflict. In Matthew 18, 15 he said, if another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. Jesus knew that in the community like this, there would be times when we would do wrong to one another. Our departure from the right path would mean hurting the people around us. And when that happened, Jesus had guidance. Listen, this is not the advice from Jesus to anyone in the world who hurts you. Jesus does not want you going up to a stranger who doesn't have any faith and telling them, you just sinned against me because he knows that's not gonna work. But in the community of faith, Jesus says, when that happens, notice how carefully he is. Go to that person. That's, that is, don't go talk about that person. Don't go gather up some other people in the church who also don't like them and make a little club against them. Don't bury it, but go to them and do it when the two of you are alone so that there's no embarrassment or shame in front of others and talk about it together. That is the rule here, I would say, that teaches us to engage in necessary conflict, not to get fussy and upset and attacking about every little thing, but rather for the sake of true unity, never letting things fester and boil so that they become rancid deep down, pushed down inside, but instead bringing them out into the light and confronting them. Of course, this raises the sensible question, which some of you are already asking. What about those times when it is a sin which they do not think is a sin, right? Or what if I think it's wrong but they think it's right? How do we handle those kinds of disagreements? What about seriously divisive subjects which are so divisive the pastor won't even say them out loud? What about when we disagree about big things, what then? Here is the third rule for maintaining peace. You ready for this? Constantly look to Jesus. And this is not me trying to be evasive or pietistic or sort of taking the easy way out. The reason I tell you that this is how we maintain the unity is there's a theological claim about you and me in the New Testament, and it has roots all the way back in the Hebrew scriptures, and it is that what unites us is that God's grace has brought us together so that we are members of one body. Have you ever heard that metaphor in the, in the scriptures that we are the body of, as believers? Christ. Here, Paul means it in some sense beyond just metaphorically that there is a way in which you need me like a hand needs a foot or the ears need the eyes. We are actually knit together in a body. That's who we are and the best that any body part can do to carry out its proper function is to look to the one body part which rules them all, especially understood in the first century as the master of every other body part and that is this body part, right? Your head, because that's where your brains are. And the New Testament tells us that the head of the church is not me or a group of elders or any leaders. The head of the church is Jesus. This is how it is put in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. Jesus is the head of the body, which is the church. And since he is the head of the body of which we are members, and we are united to him, therefore we're united to one another, and the best way for us to approach any issue that may divide is constantly to be looking to him. Asking, Jesus, is this something you would fight about? And and I want you to understand this, that if Christians did this more often, they would see that some of the most divisive things that we divide up about would never occur to them to divide up about if only they looked to Jesus. Uh, Just one example, when Christians are dividing up over communion and killing each other because they celebrated the Lord's Supper in different ways, if only they looked to Jesus, they would have understood he did this to unite, not divide us. How could we possibly divide up over it? You see what I mean? I can't tell if you're alive. Okay, you're alive. There will be many unanticipated conflicts that we will face. There will. And what we will need to do to maintain the peace and unity is constantly look to Jesus. And that is going to be the best that I can say right now, that you look to him. If you will constantly look to him, here's a fourth which bears mentioning, uh, you will become the kind of community that will be way more likely to foster peace because you will be uncommonly kind. And that's who our master Jesus is. He is uncommonly kind. This is not the same as being very nice. Nice can mean flattering someone, telling them a lie to make them feel good, blowing smoke. That's not what kindness is. Kindness is proactive benevolence, thinking about what's good for the other and doing it every time. And Jesus always did that and when conflict arises, you will be most tempted to be mean and aggressive but this is the moment where you'll most need to look to Jesus and say, how can I be kind even now? How can I be kind to that person in this community when everything in me wants to fight back? If you will make that your commitment, if all of us will, it will change the tenor and the quality of our community so that together we'll, we will be fostering the unity which Jesus has won. Look at Paul's teaching on this subject in Colossians three fourteen. This is magnificent. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. There you have it, the theme of unity, this time with music, the kind of melodic moment where the harmony enriches the quality, the diversity of instruments, make a whole that is united and magnificent, like music can move your heart and your soul. Don't you know that? That happens when we clothe ourselves with love, when we choose to be uncommonly kind. These four are good. I have a fifth which is of a different kind in effect. It's it's qualitatively different than those other four, in part because it is so immediately practical and accessible, and I want to leave you with this. You will maintain unity when you do something good together. And this one, everybody can do. And if anyone does this, If anyone decides to go ahead and do something good with other people, they will find themselves discovering a unity with those others which they didn't know existed until they got about doing good together. I'm sure that everyone who was in Guatemala working at the school and at the orphanage found not that the work made us united, but rather the work uncovered a deep secret that was there all along, which is we were made for each other. And it was so magnificent and you can go to Guatemala to experience that. You don't have to go there. You can sign up for the run, this run in the city. I will not sign up. I will never run, but you can. (laughs) And then when you start working at it with those others, you'll discover that you are united because you're doing something good with each other. Uh, Or you can go to the Goodwill Rescue Mission with Ren Cares. Or you can help out bringing food to kids in Summit who need it. Or you don't even have to sign up for that. Get involved with youth ministry and start to work with the youth there. Use your guitar and your voice with others to bless people. Uh, Come up with your own good plan and just do it. Start a, a group in your home and invite people over and celebrate with each other. Do something that's pleasurable for all of you in a good way and you will find, oh my gosh, these are people that I love because I'm united already. Do something good together. I put this one last for this reason. I wanna remind us of this. Our goal in this year as Renaissance Church is to gather to see Jesus, growing to follow him so that we go and do that which makes him visible. And that's the very best thing. That is the the good which we can do and should do together. And when I think about us here in this service and in the previous service and in the next service, when I think about the roughly 700 of us who gather here, the little ones and everyone else each Sunday, I think of an immensely powerful force for good when we embrace the gift of unity that God has given us and we get about the business of doing good in the world. I want to be a part of that. Uh, that would be walking worthy of the calling which is ours in Christ Jesus. Uh, we'll wrap up together next week uh, coming back again for one last time to this list to see how God might use this church uh, to, to be a, a church that's worthy of its calling. And I hope you'll join us next week. For now, let's pray. God, I praise you and I love you for rescuing all of us who are lost. I thank you that you've given many of us to know the truth that it was for the world that you gave your son so that those who have embraced this and are coming to know it, those who have come to faith and in that way been genuinely saved so that we can have our eyes open to help others. And that's what we want. We want to be your instrument of rescue and deliverance for others. Please make us one. Uh, Unite our hearts together so that with one another we are so much stronger than apart from one another. And then we pray that you would use us to bless this world which you love in Jesus' name. Amen.